Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The purpose of this press conference is to update you all in respect to some recent developments in relation to the disappearance of Jane, Anna and Grant Beaumont in 1966. Over the years there's been many books, magazines and media interest about this case and it's fair to say it's one of the most famous cases within Australia and it's probably had more people nominated as a potential offender than any other case that I'm aware of, certainly in this state. You're listening to Investigates, the podcast that lifts the curtain on some of the world's biggest crimes and mysteries. I'm your host for this week, Stephen Downey. When Nancy Beaumont let her three young children catch a bus to the beach early one Australia Day, she had no idea she would never see them again. Adelaide in 1966. It was a more innocent time, where kids played in the streets until the sun went down, where parents trusted the kindness of strangers, when it was perfectly acceptable to let your children come and go as they please. But after Australia Day that year, all that changed. Because 53 years ago, Jane, Anna and Grant Beaumont went missing and they've never been seen since. Tomorrow marks 50 years since the three Beaumont children went missing. Good evening. A major development in the state's infamous Beaumont children mystery. 53 years of heartbreak and agony, a mother's nightmare that never ended. To this day, there is a $1 million reward out there for anyone who may know something about what happened to the Beaumont children. But as you're about to find out, not many people do because the case of the Beaumont children is one of Australia's biggest mysteries. Journalist John Burford has been following the case intently for years for the way it continues to fascinate Australians. John has spent some time interviewing experts involved in the Beaumont cold case and he joins me now to discuss the case that has never been closed. Hello, John. Hey, Stephen. Can you take us through what happened on Australia Day 1966? Yeah, well, the, the Beaumont um, children's story starts in, in Adelaide. They lived in, um, in, in suburban Adelaide. And Australia Day 1966 was this boiling, boiling hot day. And uh, they lived, uh, the family lived not very far away from the beach down Glenelg Beach, um, one of the most popular beaches in, in, um, in Adelaide. And it was a different time. So you had um, the three children. Jane was nine. Anna, another girl, was seven, and the young son, Grant, was four. And uh, the, the day before, the children had gone to the beach, not a problem, and it was still stinking hot on Australia Day. So the kids, once again, were allowed to go to the beach. The parents um, said, uh, the, the mother, um, Nancy, sent the children off. Uh, and the children went down to the beach with the clear intention at about 9 o'clock, I think they caught the 9.15 um, bus down 
to the beach. With the strict in, um, instruction, they had to be back on the midday bus, so they were only going down there for a couple of hours. Well, the children were never seen again. It's interesting about them going off unaccompanied. I mean, it, it would seem these days to be uh, quite a uh, bizarre thing to send your kids down to the beach by themselves. Uh, different time back then? Well, this is exactly the point when we were saying it's a different Australia, it's a different time. It was a much more innocent time. Um, the, the comment doing the research for the story that um, ran in the magazine was that people kept saying, we, li- we lived in Adelaide with our doors open. We didn't lock our doors. We, we, very, uh, we trusted our neighbours. We, we felt we lived in a safe society. And this, is, this, shocked, this actually sent genuine shockwaves through the country that three children could go to the beach quite innocently and disappear. And exactly as you're saying, yes, but the oldest daughter, Jane, was nine, but she was considered uh, very responsible. She was um, considered uh, mature enough to take care of her two younger siblings and it, oh gee, the, the beach was just down the road. That was fine to send them down. It's a very different Australia we live in now. And a few people have looked at that scenario since and gone, well, hold on, how come these kids were allowed to go to the beach on their own? It was a different time. And Glenelg Beach too. We're talking about Australia Day, hot, lots of people. They must have been seen by, by somebody. They were. They were seen. They did go to the beach. They were evidently having a great time on the beach. And this is when it gets very, very strange They were seen on the beach. They were then later seen in a park called Collie Reserve. And Collie Reserve was just at the back of the beach. And they were seen playing there. And this is where the story gets very strange. They were seen playing there with a man, grown-up man, who was later described as a tall, blonde man, thin-faced, with a sun-tanned complexion, of a thin to athletic build. Strangest of all, he was in his mid-30s. And he was playing with these kids. And the people who were witnessing them said there was trust there. You know, the kids were happily playing with the man and the man seemed to be responsible with them. And it didn't seem out of place. The the children almost seemed familiar with that man. So that was one of the times they were spotted. They were spotted a little bit later on by their local postman who was walking down the street. As I said, the beach was only about three kilometres from their home. So the the postman was doing the, the morning rounds. And uh, the little boy, Grant, said, hello, Mr. Postman, as the postman walked past. And he went, hello, Grant, and said hello to the rest of the children. That was sighting number two. Sighting number three is when the story, the story takes a bit of a strange um, turn. Uh, and this is the last ever sighting of them. The, three, uh, the, the oldest um, daughter, Jane, went into the local pie shop to buy some pasties and bought a pie for the man. That's what she said to the woman in the pie shop who once again knew them, knew the family. They were regulars. And uh, the, fam- the, the, girl, the children had only been given a small amount of money. I think it was um, six shillings and sixpence. So roughly about 66 cents in, in current dollars. But uh, Jane handed over a crisp one pound note. Now, that was a lot of money back in those days. And the uh, mother, Nancy, said she definitely... Uh, had not given her nine-year-old daughter a one-pound note, but the little girl handed over a one-pound note. And it was significant because the shopkeeper w- thought, gee, that's a lot of money for a child to be handing around. And the the comment Jane said, oh, and I have a pie for the man. The shop owner didn't question that. And with that, she was given the change, she took the pie, she took the pastries, walked out of the shops and was never seen again. That is the end of the sighting. So you have those three 
incidences in that morning. Uh, the midday bus comes and Nancy, the mother, is waiting at the bus stop back at home for the children. They're not on them, on it. And she thought, oh, that's unusual. It was really unlike them to not be uh, consistent. And she said to them, you must be home on the midday bus. The two o'clock bus came, the children weren't on it. And that was when the mother began to panic. At about 3.30, her husband, Jim, who was a salesman, arrived home and Nancy by this stage was beside herself and said, the children have not come home. They went to the beach. They've gone missing. And then the day goes from there. This is where the story takes an interesting turn because that man and the one pound note Jane was carrying may be the missing link in the Beaumont children's disappearance. Evidently, uh, at home in the, the previous days, Anna, the middle daughter, had been joking with the mother and saying, oh, Jane's got a new boyfriend down at the beach. Jane has a boyfriend. There's a man. And the mother just thought, oh, there's another little boy down there or there, there's somebody. I didn't, didn't refer to him as the man, but was talking about the boyfriend. And she just said, oh, it must be one of the boys from school or one of the neighbourhood kids or something. It was later suggested that the children were possibly being groomed in the days and weeks before. The other interesting thing about the man, and we have to refer to him as the man because there's just really no clear uh, pinpointing of exactly who he was. The man in question basically could have been grooming the children in the days leading up to the disappearance by basically befriending them, and that was the thought that he had possibly befriended them, won their trust. Here's the interesting thing, though. I said to you um, the the man was spotted playing with the children. There was an interesting turn of events where uh, there was a little little bit of commotion. Um, There were an elderly couple sitting on a park bench watching the man play with the children, and he um, suddenly went, oh, somebody has stolen our money. Our money's been taken, and... Uh, he went up to this older couple and said, um, have, you, uh, have you seen anybody near our clothes? And they, they said, no, no. And he said, oh, our, our money's been taken. And one of the hypotheses that later came out was that he may have actually taken the children's money and then said, oh, gosh, our money's been taken. I've got a pound note here. Let's go and get some pies. As a way to win their trust, that was one of the scenarios that was considered possible of uh, how he possibly won the children over um, because he made a bit of a scene about the fact that their money had been taken when they were playing in Collie Reserve. Wow. Mm. Obviously police investigated all this but they never really came up with anything concrete? Stephen, the really tragic thing with this entire story and I think that's what makes it still so fascinating these 53 years later is that for every bit of uh, every lead the police got, every scenario they came up with, every tip-off they got, it led to nothing, absolutely nothing. There were all kinds of um, scenarios and, and, and people came up with all kinds of conspiracies and the police followed every one of them up and they literally found nothing. There was also no trace ever found of the children. No trace, no beach bag or, or beach towel dropped. And it remains the biggest investigation in South Australian history. And if you look through some of the archival footage, you see the army coming out. You see the local police, like hordes and hordes of the local police force. You see hundreds and hundreds of volunteers going through the sand dunes, going through um, drains, going through creeks. And in one point, the harbour at Glenelg was actually drained and they had people actually going through the mud like digging through mud to see if there was a body there and to see what possibly could have happened. Um, and it came up with nothing. Nothing was found. Not a beach bag, 
nothing. 53 years later, and still little has been uncovered about the Beaumont children. But that hasn't stopped people having their theories about them. From UFOs to cults, to abductions, to pedophile rings, thousands of Australians have theorised about what happened to Jane, Anna and Grant. But to this day, no one knows. The story takes a really, really strange turn late in... Now, remember, the children disappeared Australia Day, 1966. November 1966, this Dutch clairvoyant, and let's see if I can get the name right, Gerard Crusoe arrived and he swore that he knew um, what was happening. He was brought to Australia and he was brought to Australia to help solve this. And he said to the parents, I believe your children are deceased. And he eventually decided that they were under a slab of concrete at a local factory. And uh, the local factory said, listen, it's impossible for them to be under there and we're not going to demolish the factory. Where he said they were was under a brick kiln. Well, there was so much of an outcry about the fact that he was saying that's where they were that um, there was a public (laughs) fundraising event and it raised the money for the factory to say, okay, you know what, we will dismantle the kiln, we'll dig up the concrete, and they dug everything up and there was nothing there. And he got a huge amount of publicity. In one of the more bizarre turn of events, there were almost as many people to greet him at Adelaide Airport as there were when the Beatles flew in only a couple of years before. It was such an enormous case. People were there and they were just hoping this man would solve this horrendous case. He eventually went back to the Netherlands and there's footage of this and it's just heartbreaking and I think he broke the parents' hearts yet again because I think they had held some held some hope that he would at least give them some kind of answers and um, there, there was none. And that's what I mean about... You look at this story even through to the past decade where there have been a couple more events and you go, is there a breakthrough? (laughs) Did they find anything? Nothing. It is heartbreaking, especially for for poor Nancy, the the mother Mm. of those children who sadly passed away in September. Nancy Beaumont waited 53 years for her children to return home. But tragically, she died not knowing what happened to them despite the case being revisited in 2013 and again in 2018, with two unsuccessful digs at a factory site. But as victims' rights advocate Michael O'Connell told Seven News, Nancy never gave up. Nancy never gave up hope. She passionately believed that at some, some point in time, uh, her children uh, would return home. Nancy's experience is horrible. Nancy kept the children's rooms exactly as they were for years and years and years in the hope that they would return home. And a lot of people said, gee, this, this house must be so sad for you. You, you know, are you going to leave? And she said, no way. I don't want the children to one day come home and find we're not here. I want us to stay here. And a number of people have, have quoted this source, but um, evidently she used to set a, a place for them at the table, at the dinner table occasionally, just in case that they arrived home. And if they arrived home, they would know that, there was a place for them at the table. It's absolutely heartbreaking. This woman just absolutely held on to hope that one day the children would come home. And it's interesting to say that, that she hoped the children would come home. Not that the children's bodies would necessarily be found. I guess that was her darkest fear and her deepest fear. But she was hoping one day the kids would come home. And part of, 
I guess part of the reason that she also thought that was that there was so many hoaxes that came up. The children were supposedly living in country Victoria. The hoax letters that she received from people saying, we have your children, they're fine, they're living a new life. And those hoax letters were then followed up and found to be, um, you know, complete garbage. There were other hoax letters from the children supposedly to the parents that were once again renewed some hope, proved yet again to be fraud. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story of heartbreak. And the story of Nancy also takes an awful turn when some people began to question whether Nancy and her husband were actually involved in the disappearance. And that's just, it's just so sad to think of what she actually went through with that. And I think obviously that put an enormous strain on their marriage. That's Nancy and Jim's marriage. Yeah, it did. There are a lot of people that actually said, what kind of parents were you to actually allow your children, uh, three kids under 10 years of age, to go to the beach that day? How reckless, you know, how inverted commas reckless were you? Um, and other people saying, yeah, gee, well, your children disappeared quite smoothly and with no traces found, how were you involved? And the years and years of holding out hope, uh, I think eventually just broke broke them. And in the 1980s, they separated and they later divorced. And you can just imagine what they had gone through over the decades as people continued to say, oh, I've got a breakthrough. And, uh, and they never had any other children. That was the thing. So basically their whole family... Uh, were taken from them in one morning. Indeed. Now, and you've spoken to Michael Madigan, who wrote a book about the Beaumonts. I did. I did. Michael, um, a terrific um, writer from South Australia, actually wrote the book, The Missing Beaumont Children. And he said this to me. He said the secret to my book is in the title, The Missing Beaumont Children, 50 Years of Mystery and Misery. And he had contacts with uh, people who knew Nancy. And he just said what that woman went through across the years, as well as her husband, of course, was misery. There was never a ray of hope, and yet she held out a hope. So how could three children simply vanish? Surely there had to be people who knew things. Michael Madigan, the author of The Missing Beaumont Children, recounts the many people of interest in his book. But as John tells me, there are a few that really stand out. Michael Tommy has a, a new book coming out on uh, Dita Feving, and he was convicted on the 1983 murder of Louise Bell, another horrible death of a child in Adelaide. And Michael, Dita at the time uh, that the Beaumonts were missing, would have been quite a young man, but... Um, Michael just thinks that there's something more there that could be explored, that he would be a person of interest to actually find out if, you know, if and what he knew about the missing Beaumont children. Mm. I want to ask you too, now, uh, there was a 2013 um, police thought they had a lead with two brothers mm. who said that, um, that they, were, they were asked to dig a big hole at the request of a guy called Harry Phipps. And um, I think this led to an actual excavation last year. It led to two excavations. It is, it's the most bizarre story. Two, um, two gentlemen came forward about 10 years ago and said that Harry Phipps, a local businessman, local factory owner, and um, quite a, a high-up member of Adelaide's then social elite, approached them about at his factory, which was not too far away from where the family lived and not too far away from Glenelg Beach, on the weekend uh, after the children went missing or the days after the children went missing, he approached these two men and said, uh, I'd like you to dig me a hole. 
I want you to dig me a hole in the, the grounds of my, of my factory. And once again, it was 40-degree heat. It was like one of those really intense Adelaide heat waves. So they dug this very bizarre, I guess you'd call it a grave. It was two metres by one metres by two metres deep. And as they were digging away, Harry sat there and watched them. He just watched them and he kept going, no, deeper, no, deeper. So when what they eventually dug was it looked like a grave. And uh, after two days, it was done. And um, he said, okay. And once again, he he uh, paid them both with what was considered good money then, a crisp one-pound note. And evidently, Harry had this habit of handing out crisp one-pound notes. And that's exactly what was handed over to the pie shop by, by Jane Beaumont. So anyway, these gentlemen came forward years, years and years later. And a few people said, gee, it's a little bit late to be remembering this. But they just said they never thought very much about it. Harry Phipps emerged as a... Um, an interesting, an interesting key player in this story years later because there were various revelations about him. He was, um, there's a book called The Saturn Man. He was a man that had a fetish for Saturn. He had a fetish for um, sexual abuse of minors when he was wearing the Saturn. And there were certain people that believe that Harry is somehow involved. So in 2013, the police feel they have enough evidence to start uh, digging up the what was Harry's Zen factory. And so they dug where these two young men said the grave, we'll call it the grave, had been um, dug. And they dug and there were a lot of people hoping that at last there's going to be a breakthrough. And this is, uh, you know, the, the clairvoyant had said years ago they're under a layer of concrete. So it, let me just say different sites, but similar story, different sites. Nothing was found. The result of this, um, of the dig which we had today, there was no new information. And it, I think people who were hoping this would be finally be the breakthrough um, were very disappointed. However, the story wasn't finished. Five years later, uh, there were some old photos that emerged at the factory and the police looked at the old photos and the new photos and the, the two gentlemen who had dug the grave said, oh, hold on you're actually digging in the wrong place. It was near a gate, and the gate had been changed in the intervening years. So they actually dug again in the new place, and they were hoping, and they, they did some sonar work, and they found that there was some disruption to the soil, and there seemed to be some kind of remains there. So there was a lot of hope. So 2018, they dug and dug and dug. Yeah, they found some bones. They were animal bones, and there was old garbage in there. And that was at the time... That's only last year, and that was at the time that you just saw if if the Beaumont parents are going to find out, this has got to be it, and they didn't find out. Michael Madigan, the the author of the book that I spoke to, a friend of his, spoke to Nancy and said, checked in with Nancy at that time and said, "Are you okay?" And she said, "You know, I've been through so much; nothing can hurt me anymore. I've lived through all of this for fifty odd years; nothing can hurt me anymore." And I. I'm sure the Beaumonts were holding out hope, but they had lived through so many of these. Is this a breakthrough? Is this a breakthrough? Oh, hold on, we've got a potential new lead. Um, so there was still nothing that came from that. Michael Madigan said, made an interesting comment when I, I said to him, yeah, when do you think we will ever find this out? He said, it's going to take a deathbed confession. But a lot of those key players, like with the passing of Nancy, are now going. They're now passing. And a lot of the people who in the past have been 
suspects, and as I said, we could talk about them for an hour um, alone, they're beginning to pass as well. And you've got people who are just saying, you know, uh, somebody has to finally crack, but nobody has ever, has ever cracked. And it's really interesting, Stephen, to actually go through some of the research on this. And some of the people that you say, oh, they were a key suspect. Well, it turns out they weren't even in Adelaide at the time. They weren't even in Adelaide at the time, or if they had, uh, they were in any way involved. They must have secretly got from uh, you know the east coast somehow over to Adelaide without anybody seeing them. So that's what I'm. That's what I, I'm going back to that initial point that I'm making, where you say, it. You're just waiting for a breakthrough. You're waiting for one little bit of evidence, and it's uh, it's really hard to find on this occasion. It's a sad thought to th- to you know. It's a sad thought that we may never actually find out. The truth about the the Beaumont children. It is. It's 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 very sad thought, and it's that that story that continues to fascinate Australia. And as I said, I think it just it fascinates Australia because it's about miss, losing one child would be awful for any parent, but to lose their entire family in one morning is horrible. It's also got that Australian significance of going to the beach during the summer. Young kids being allowed to go to the beach and feeling safe in summer. It actually blows that concept away of that Aussie, you know, the Aussie hot day on the beach. Also, it took place on Australia Day, Australia Day 1966. And uh, Australia in the 60s, of course, was in in the midst of its social revolution. And the fact, I I think that date being on Australia Day when, you know, so many of us go to the beach to to enjoy the day blows that apart. But you also just hope that at, at some point there would have been some kind of a breakthrough. And yet, decade after decade... We're no closer. It's been 53 years and still we are no closer to finding out what happened to Jane, Anna and Grant. Some of the police who have been involved in the investigation over the years have at various times said who they think it could be. But no arrests have ever been made. The majority of Australians believe they were murdered. But at this stage, no one knows the truth. The Beaumont Children is one of Australia's longest running mysteries. And sadly, their mother Nancy will never know what happened to her three little ones. Jane would be 62 today, Anna would be 60, and Grant would be 57. If you know anything about this case, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000. If you'd like to find out more about the Beaumont children, head to newidea.com.au to read John's article. I'm Stephen Downey, and I'll see you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.